Hi, everybody. Welcome again to another Orthopod. Today, we are in conversation with Daryl Yardley, who is a consultant coach and physiotherapist, uh, helping countless numbers of clinics uh, through this uh, certain challenge we're having with uh, COVID-19. Uh, Daryl, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Hey, thanks, both. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, let's get down to some three critical questions I have for you. And maybe the first one is, which I'm sure a lot of our members are interested in, is what are physios currently doing? How are they currently managing the social distancing uh, ruling in which clinics are, for the, mo for the majority of part, are closed? So how are they managing in this and how are they you know, continuing care for their patients? Mm -hmm. No, that's a great question. And, and I'll kind of take you through a little bit of what we experienced early on, just prior to the state of emergency that was I mean, that was actually called across the country. Um, so initially, once we we saw the recommendations from the chief public health physician, uh, most clinics actually just closed their facility and, and kind of cut off at you know all ties to patients at initially. Um, mm -hmm. But through some lots of conversation and, and really digging deep into you know what is our purpose as clinicians, uh, we've actually seen a big shift. And we just polled it last week that about 80% of physio clinics right now and rehabilitation facilities, they may have yes closed their facility doors to inpatient care. Uh, but they all have now expressed the opportunity to patients to actually be carrying their plan of care through virtual methods, which is really exciting for the physio profession, for sure. Uh, we've never really seen this as, as, an, as a del service delivery model. There's been a few key players, I would say, in our industry for quite some time that have actually successfully implemented telehealth and telerehabilitation. But this is really setting the, the stage for us for a whole new opportunity um, and another way to service our patients that we've never really considered before. Um, so that's sort of been our, our, our shift. What's really been challenging for a lot of clinicians, though, is our regulatory guidelines have supported urgent or emergency cases that we're still able to see uh, in, our, in our clinics. The challenge, though, that we're facing is, you know, a little bit of optics, though, in the community and concern around, well, if what happens if something was ever traced back to the clinic, we wouldn't want to be seen as that, as that particular clinical facility to have a negative impact on um, you know, our, our social commitment. But at the same challenge too is there are certainly cases in need, especially a lot of our post-surgical cases and traumas that do need support. You know, a, a flexor tendon repair really can't wait that long for care. We got to get that splinted and moving you know, so there's those challenges, but I think one of the biggest things that we're struggling with too for those urgent cases is we require PPE as well, but we also don't want to be utilizing PPE that's required at the front line at the hospital. So this is sort of a little bit of this challenge we've seen, but I'm really pleased to see that our our industry went from we're fully closed to, you know, what our facilities closed, but we're open to serving patients through virtual care methodology. So let me ask you this then, because I think this is exactly the same thing that um, surgeons are facing, which is they have a number of patients. They can immediately say, you know what, this group of people we can manage and unoperatively, and we can see them through telehealth and through you know the standard methods. And for many of them, it's it's a completely new world. But there are individuals that are need to be triaged to be seen. And right now, um, am I hearing you correctly in that that there really isn't a way for someone who is in urgent care of physiotherapy care that can't be seen face-to-face -face in an environment, or is that allowed at this point? 
Yeah, so the, each regulatory body, so for us, we have different jurisdictional guidelines, but some of our, our key, uh, our largest provinces have enabled emergency cases. So in Ontario, for example, physiotherapy for emergency cases was deemed as an essential service. So clinical facilities can see those types of cases. What, we, what we've seen in the industry right now, and, and we actually you know, work with a group of over 200 clinic, or clinic owners across the country, and we're seeing sort of mixed mixed messaging around who's open and who's not. What we have seen though is really on a case by case basis. So individuals who have relationships with physicians have been able to consult and support the doc to say, you know what, this is a case we we are comfortable doing virtually to support you. Or you know what, if this patient meets the surveillance guidelines, uh, we have appropriate PPE in the clinic. And we know that if this individual did not actually receive care, they would actually have, they would, you know, at risk of being hospitalized or going back to the ER. We do have the, the jurisdictional guidelines to support that if that's the means necessary. Sounds great. And are there best practices documents being made? And you know, and maybe we can speak to Canada, but I suspect you know broadly, um, you know, in 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 you know in, in global international physiotherapy associations, um, we're seeing uh, you know positions come up very quickly from our organizations that are saying, you know, here's what you should be doing, here's what you shouldn't be, or at least we recommend. Um, so provides a little bit of support to the physiotherapy group in general, and quite frankly, mm-hmm. guidance to the surgical group, who is also looking to you know, work with them and figure out how do they get their patients who need it. Yeah, I think very similar to what you guys are, are experiencing right now too. There's a lot of position papers that have come out to say these are what are, we're recommending and here's guidelines, guidelines around emergency cases, guidelines around how to appropriately, safely, and from a privacy perspective, yeah. uh, implement uh, virtual care and telerehabilitation. But that's sort of where we are right now. I do think though our new normal will be quite a bit of extensive research into the benefits of transitioning to virtual care down the road. But right now it's a lot more around position statements, I would say. So from a practical point of view, how are orthopedic surgeons who who themselves are going through this transition where they are now doing lots of telehealth, they are primarily what I'm seeing and what we're hearing is that they're going back to these very long waiting lists of patients because, you know, a pretty well elective surgery is stopped uh, in most places mm-hmm. in Canada and certainly in the U.S., I believe. Uh, for the most part around the world, we're seeing a pretty well a shutdown. So mm-hmm. they're going back and seeing patients and then Typically, a you know physiotherapy is a critical part of a lot of the non-operative uh, regime of a, a host of you know uh, chronic conditions, and even mm-hmm. some acute conditions. How are surgeons, or how can surgeons then start working with their physiotherapy colleagues to ensure that there is some kind of continuity of care when they evaluate patients in need? Yeah, no, I, I'm glad you said that. Well, it's a great question. Um, and I think there's a little bit of ownership on the physiotherapist side as well to reach out to the doc to let them know that these services are available. Um, let them know how it works. And, and one of the things that we've seen that's actually quite positive is to actually, if if time's available, to actually do a virtual session with an orthopedic surgeon, for example, so we can actually see how that interaction would occur. I think one of the biggest challenges is we don't know what we don't know. And we also don't know where we can improve right so getting that feedback from a physician to one have confidence in our service delivery in a virtual care model would be extremely beneficial but also getting their feedback on how we can do things better is very important because I do think oftentimes physiotherapy over the years has become quite complex where we 
we we forgot about sometimes going back down to the fundamentals and the basics. And when I look at what opportunity we would have to support the surgeons and, and you know and actually support them, whether it's you know in a, 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 an urgent case that we actually need to support, or it's them actually working still through their their potential elective waitlist. If we go back down to keeping things simple and helping those individual patients with appropriate, you know, gait retraining, education around their house, proper mobility, uh, how to regain strength and stay active, how to manage their pain at home. There's a lot that actually can be done to support patients well beyond what we've ever actually contemplated of having a patient in my, on my treatment table in my clinic. So I do think there's a great opportunity, but we need to make sure that what we're seeing from a physiotherapy perspective and what we're doing in consultation has good alignment with the surgeon though. That to me is a critical step that we've been challenged over the years. And obviously nothing beats great communication back and forth. And I think this has been um, one of our biggest gaps, I would say. I've been very fortunate to be able to be working with many, many orthopedic surgeons and neurosurgeons closely. Um, but the biggest fear that I have over the years and as we move forward is, you know, the gap around communication, the biggest concern is that it's sort of the illusion that it's taken place. And I think moving into a virtual world allows us to actually improve communication and insight. It's no longer, hey, Daryl's idea as a physiotherapist, this is what we're gonna do. This is gonna be Daryl plus orthopedic surgeon is gonna figure out what the best plan of care is for this patient. And surgeon, physiotherapist, patient is truly what a collaborative practice model, I think is what we're gonna see into the future. And I, I quite like the idea of a collaborative approach. We've got the surgeon and the physiotherapist interacting with the patient. They're both trying to help. Um, mm -hmm. From a point of view of legality, how is that happening? In other words, are, are patients then signing waivers, right? The you know, like some sort of standard uh, consent waiver to be getting advice uh, by telehealth, and then that therefore both would do it would sign the same waiver. It's just a matter of surgeons mm -hmm. are going through this and they're learning it. And I think any insights they can get, I think, are helpful. Yeah, no, that's a great question, actually. Um, what we've seen, actually, and I'll, I'll just comment on the physio side of things first, yeah. is majority of our of our support and guidelines have been really around uh, privacy and consent, consent from virtual as opposed to consent on in you know in person yeah. care. So definitely a new world for us, especially you know once things get into you know the virtual world, things are a little bit higher risk. Um, you know, and, and access to that type of patient, you know, PHI is something we definitely need to consider. Um, right. Even though we may not see the same level of appreciation, it's important. Yeah. Oh, it's um, very important, yeah. Yeah, the other, the other piece there, so once we get the regulatory side of things down and the privacy piece, mm -hmm. I think it's actually a pretty straightforward approach moving forward. The challenge being though, especially from when we start to mix the two worlds from a collaborative practice model is, you know, the the actual physician side is still going to be covered through public funding, right? Through OHIP, for example. Yeah. On the physio side, it's still going to go through private insurance or out of pocket yeah. for the majority of cases that don't, you know, that don't qualify for our public funded yeah. system in Ontario. Mm -hmm. um, but here's what's something that's really interesting. So when this first when we first actually started, so we we went live with virtual at our clinic uh, the day after the state of emergency. We that was what mm -hmm. we were going to do. We needed to keep in very close contact, support our patients, and deliver care in the best means that we could. Um, and one of the things though is is the insurance companies were not approving virtual yet. Workers' compensation wasn't. Our motor vehicle world was not. Um, Sun Life actually was the first large insurance carrier to actually approve. Um, physiotherapy services through virtual care. 
Um, and as we've seen now, we've just seen a complete increase of which insurance carriers will fund. And at this state right now, um, which I'm glad it is, and I'm hoping it will stay this way, is that service fees, reimbursement fees for virtual care is going to match the same as in-person care. The value is just that high. So I think that's a key piece because we know that from an orthopedic surgeon perspective or physician, it's always concerning is, you know, ones of these individuals can't afford it. Good news though, is that we're seeing very strong reimbursement right now across the country. And from the perspective of a, let's say a typical physio clinic. So obviously there's going to be those that are going to be being harder hit than others. And those who are not as hard hit, for example, what's been the average impact on physio clinics right now? So for example, in the orthopedic community, you know, surgeons are saying that, you know, somewhere between 50 and 75% of their clinical practice has basically been shut down. So they're feeling a considerable you know, change in the way things are and therefore the move to virtual. What's been the general impact on the physio community? Yeah, I, I would say for those that actually haven't, you know, there's the group that's been fully shut down, not even having any output to patient care. Uh, they're obviously at 100%. I would say, though, the average clinic that's still open virtually is experienced anywhere from 70 to 85%. Yeah, so it's a mass utilization, right? And and our patients. So I guess the point is, while we say, and you know, and I'm being, I'm going to be a little bit. I'm going to take the, I'm going to take a cynical side of this. While we say virtual, you know, is 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 there's a lot of positives, and we're getting you know different opportunities Mm -hmm. with virtual. Do you truly believe that patients are going to adopt this in the longer term? So let's say social distancing measures relax in the next, and I'm telling you. Based on modeling, it could be anywhere from three months to six months. I mean, I, I think it could be quite quite a considerable yep. time. You know, in the longer term, is this approach going to be viable? And how are physicians broadly, you know, and clinicians and physiotherapists going to be able to live in this new world of um, virtual? Or can they actually? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think from a from a patient perspective. The one thing I would comment from a physiotherapist perspective right now, physiotherapists are the largest barrier to moving patients to virtual care. The individuals who have kind of got over that I, you know, I can't use my hands and they're tied behind my back approach are blown away. It's been our big epiphany, like, oh my goodness, like these patients actually value our service, challenging us to think outside the box. So, you know, to answer your question, you know, as concise as I can, Mo, is is I actually think, I think virtual care is here to stay. Um, I believe you're going to see a hybrid model come forward. And this is obviously an approach that I would be taking, Uh, you know, in-person has its place 100%. I don't believe it'll ever be replaced. No different than a physician where you're never going to replace a a physical exam, right? Um, But I think there's an opportunity where, you know, when we've done, you know, if we just take a workers' compensation case, for example, I've done a functional abilities form, never looking at the patient at their, you know, on their job site or never looking at them in their office, for example. Whereas now this is challenging me to think outside the box. So I can actually now see a patient, see how they're managing within their work environment and make really good, accurate decisions there or recommendations. And same thing too is now I can pass that information back to the orthopedic surgeon who may have operated who also doesn't have the ability or the time based on their other commitments to do something like that. So I do believe that we have an opportunity to truly, if we think outside the box right now, to truly expand our service delivery in the new model, which I think will be hybrid moving forward. Ah, fascinating. Well, uh, Daryl Yardley, thank you so much for spending a bit of time with us and uh, clarifying a lot of issues that I think are 
uh, critical to orthopedic patients in general. So, you know, for us, it's it's always about trying to find ways in which we can connect people. And I think you've given a lot of uh, safe advice in that area. So thanks so much. Awesome. Thanks so much, Joel. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.